we remain standing for the reading of Scripture this morning, you'll find that in 3 John, the third letter that we acknowledge uh, as written by the Apostle John, not necessarily chronologically, but just the one that's uh, identified for us. And we'll begin reading with verse 1, read through the 14 verses of 3 John. Let us hear and attend to the Word of God. The elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth, Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. For I rejoice greatly when brethren came and testified of the truth that is in you just as you walk in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. Beloved, you do faithfully whatever you do for the brethren and for strangers or the brethren who are strangers who have borne witness of your love before the church. If you send them forward on their journey In a manner worthy of God, you will do well, because they went forth for his name's sake, taking nothing from the Gentiles. We therefore ought to receive such, that we may become fellow workers for the truth. I wrote to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to have the preeminence among them, does not receive us. Therefore, if I come, I will call to mind his deeds, which he does, pratting or speaking nonsense against us with malicious words. And not content with that, he himself does not receive the brethren and forbids those who wish to, putting them out of the church. Beloved, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. He who does good is of God, but he who does evil has not seen God. Demetrius has a good testimony from all and from the truth itself. And we also bear witness, and you know that our testimony is true. I had many things to write, but I do not wish to write to you with pen and ink. But I hope to see you shortly, and we shall speak face to face. Peace to you. Our friends greet you. Greet the friends by name. So may the Lord bless the reading of his scripture this morning. Please be seated. In 1 Timothy, the Apostle Paul elevates the aspiration of leadership and leadership responsibility in the local church by identifying the Christian Christian antithesis. That is, what in Christian faith and teaching is opposite to the stereotypes of worldly ambition. A good example is what we read this morning. The worldly ambition for wealth and fame, that money is power, and power gives you control, and power is what is sought. That's the world's way of thinking. And the Christian teaching and the Christian life is opposite to that, as you heard the warning of the Apostle Paul echoing Jesus and throughout the Scriptures, the Christian antithesis to the stereotypes of worldly ambition. And so we look at the public service of Christians in faith and character, in terms of personal sanctification and temperament, of godly behavior and spiritual theological maturity, In other words, when the Apostle Paul is writing under the authority of Christ about the the offices of elder and deacon within the church, he is saying you should look for those men that are of new covenant consciousness for himself, his family, and the family of God. And then as we go on in 1 Timothy chapter 3 specifically, the Apostle Paul continues with the Christian antithesis, here being specific about gender stereotypes in the fallen world. By giving us the model of elder and overseer, elder overseers and deacon servants 
to be reflected in the uh, visible local church. And I'm just going to give you an aside. I can't go far with this this morning, but it's important to understand the context in which the Apostle Paul is presenting the Christian antithesis to gender stereotypes. We're being faced with that, uh, perhaps in such a, a shocking way in our own lifetime, uh, maybe different than even the generation of our children being faced with it in terms of gender identification, transgenderism, what, what has taken place even technologically by way of, of a medical procedure or chemical treatment that was not the case in older times, but the attempt was the same. I'm going to give you a shocking reminder. If you look at the prohibitions in the Old Testament against the pagan religions around, not only will your stomach be turned, but you will also have an identification with what was going on with the pagan religions, particularly in terms of their continuity of being, their philosophies and religious rituals in an attempt to tear down any created boundaries that God made between animal and human, between male and female. And it gets very graphic and it's very disgusting. Uh, about the best word I know is the biblical word, an abomination, in its perversion and its, its disgust. But nonetheless, that carries on even uh, into the developing intertestamental and then uh, through the Greek philosophy and into the days of the New Testament. There was this same attempt that there was to try to trans, uh, to go beyond, to try to tear down the boundaries, to try to affect some kind of continuity of being by way of what we call transvestory or cross-dressing within ritualistic religions. It went beyond that to ritualistic cultic prostitution of hetero and homosexual uh, unions. And it went beyond that to attempting to gain some kind of altered consciousness through drug use. I've told you before that the word sorcery translated in some of the New Testament uh, translations is actually the word pharmakeia, drugs, drug use. So as <laughs> dear Dr. Van Til used to say, it's the return of chaos in old night. So we're closer to the times of the New Testament in terms of the paganism that is being unleashed and un unveneered. The mask is being ripped off. And so please understand that these conflicts that are going on socially and culturally belie a deeper reality of a war against God and His holiness as Creator and His only Savior. And so you need to be aware of our young people you're being constantly bombarded with this. You're being told that transgenderism is just a way of trying to express and find yourself. It is a war against God. You need to be aware of it. You don't need to be ensnared by it. And so please heed the warnings of Scripture. And when Paul writes here about the, the um, aspirations of leadership within the local church through the offices that Christ has given in terms of elder overseers and in the service that Christ has given in terms of the office of deacon and the fact that he restricts these to men of God who are family men, who are godly men, who are of the family of faith. He's not warring against women. He's warring against the world, the flesh, and the devil. You need to know that. You need to see it for what it is. Now, the descriptions and qualifications given for offices of elder and deacon are not exhaustive. It's not an exhaustive list when we come to uh, uh, 
uh, 1 Timothy, and we compare that to Titus. We compare it to Romans and Corinthians and other places of service and gifts of service for the Lord. So it's not an exhaustive list. It should be compared by other scriptures. There are no specific academic, educational, or language requirements per se. Some of these things are considered by the differences of calling and duties between minister overseers, uh, I'm sorry, minister elders, bishops, overseers, and ruling elders, overseers, and deacon servants. We recognize that there's a a different um, uh, service and duties that are spelled out. And so this does bring with it some additional, uh, um, we would say, uh, evaluations of gifts and abilities. Um, Also, these are not to be considered minimum requirements. When we read these requirements in Scripture, they set before us a high calling and view. They're not just the minimum to which we can add extra biblical uh, qualifications or disqualifications. Take, for example, the Apostle Paul. Would the Apostle Paul be disqualified because we're not sure of his marital status? Would the Apostle Paul be disqualified because of his past sins that are not disguised to us, but we're told he was at war with God in his life of self-righteousness as a Pharisee? So we need to be very careful when we come to Scripture and to appreciate uh, what is given to us and not spend our time wanting to add to or go beyond, but really um, work out what is here that is most beneficial and good for us. So this is what the Apostle Paul wrote to Timothy. So I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth, connected to the body of the Lord Jesus Christ as his church. That's what validates and makes this so important. The fact that we're ordaining and installing a deacon this morning is a time for rejoicing and thanksgiving. But it is a grave time of heavy responsibility, of how we ought to behave ourselves in the church of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the ground of the truth, to stand firm and be founded upon that rock, even Jesus Christ. I think we should also intentionally keep the connection between the privileges and the power of biblical authority with the humility and the teaching of Jesus. I really want to focus on that and and draw your attention to it, that how Uh, we're warned repeatedly about not becoming arrogant, about not becoming uh, uh, overlords or uh, using that authority as a cloak for greed or even selfish ambition or ego. And so we need to keep the humility and the teaching of Jesus ever before us as uh, being called to serve and a leadership through service. Throughout the New Testament, Christian believers Faithfully serving the Lord Jesus Christ are celebrated as a blessing to his flock, his family, his body, his kingdom, all of that defining for us what the church of Jesus Christ is. His flock, his family, his body, his kingdom. And so it's interesting how that's celebrated. It's celebrated sometimes through uh, the primary theological connection identified and emphasized and repeated as people to people. Don't lose that. We don't get lost in the wonder of office and authority and and, uh, organization. Those things are valuable, but they are secondary to the connection of people to people. Sometimes it's by gifts of office. We talked about needing to recognize the Holy Spirit gifting in terms of the, the call and the work and service of office. Sometimes it's by gifts of service. I'm not sure that we appreciate that as much. 
What about the gifts of service for Christ in his church and how he keeps an acknowledgement of that, telling us even not to let our right hand know what our left hand's doing or not to be, uh, do these things to be seen by others, but to know that the Lord sees us. But it is valuable for us to see that and encourage one another in love and good works. Sometimes it's by name. Have you noticed how there are times when the uh, uh, writers of Scripture will name people? And then also have you noticed there are times when they mention things that are being done or those who are uh, known to the Lord and they, they remain unnamed to us, but known to the Lord. So I think these are very valuable things to keep in mind as we come this morning to consider the office of deacon. And I know you know the qualifications in 1 Timothy chapter 3, uh, 8 through 13, following the, the um, lining out there of the office of, uh, of elder overseers, um, and then going on to the office of deacon. What I want you to consider this morning is 3 John, which we read, regarding... Uh, Gaius and Diotrephes as a case study for New Covenant deacons or for New Testament deacons. I've already mentioned to you that uh, the elder in the body of the writings of the Apostle John is recognized by internal evidences to be the same as the writer of the gospel and the other uh, letters that bear his name. And I accept that. I believe that the elder here is the Apostle John. Uh, there are also speculations about who Gaius and Diotrephes might be. Uh, there are some who think, well, maybe they're elders because that seems to be the more, more prominent office in uh, the New uh, Testament church. So maybe they are elders uh, in visible local churches and uh, the dispute is over authority. Who has the authority to receive or to, um, to send forth or to acknowledge uh, those within the local church? Uh, there are questions about whether this letter is about um, the government of the church and the connectionalism between churches and what relationship uh, there exist there, and uh, this letter has also been used in the dispute that rose in the second century about monarchical uh, bishops and uh, the presiding of bishops uh, over groups of churches and that kind of thing. But I want to suggest to you a different consideration. I personally think it's been overlooked and it deserves consideration, and that is that perhaps Gaius and Diotrephes, not named elsewhere in the New Testament, were actually deacon leaders in their visible local churches. I told you, I think the office of deacon is underappreciated and underacknowledged. And I think that a case could be made that Gaius and Diotrephes are indeed uh, those who serve in the office of deacon in the New Testament church. Uh, I'm not dogmatic about this. I'm just going to present you my ideas as they apply to, I think, a good advice regarding how deacons are to serve in the local church. Now, it's generally agreed by scholars and interpreters that 3 John is not about orthodox Christian doctrine versus false anti-Christian doctrine, where that's very evident in 1 John. But here in 3 John, there seems to be a concern about the recognition, respect, and hospitality for true Christian witnesses, the brethren, even ministers. I, I think there is a, a case that can be made for how that term brethren is used for uh, ordained ministers. Uh, maybe even some of the apostles' deputies, like Timothy and Titus, the evangelist uh, of Ephesians 4. And so it seems to me that we can recognize here in 3 John that the questions of recognition, respect, and hospitality for true Christian witnesses and ministers supported by the local visible churches is considered as a part of the service of deacons. 
And we see that in uh, the qualifications for deacon. And I do take Acts 6 as uh, an application to deacons in the New Testament church as well. And so as we look at this, the commendation of Gaius and the condemnation of Diotrephes also reflects on the personal character and moral qualifications for deacon as they're set out for us in 1 Timothy chapter 3. Listen to what John writes about Gaius. And then we'll, we'll look at those um, qualifications uh, just quickly as a, a, as a reminder of uh, the office of, of deacon. This is what he writes in uh, verses 1 through 8. Uh, the elder, whom we identify as the Apostle John, to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Now, again, we can go back to the previous writings of the uh, Apostle John or the other writings of the Apostle John and, and know how that word truth is just packed full, meaning the Christian faith. And he identifies Gaius as one beloved. Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. Why is John praying that way? Why is John concerned? Because he recognizes the faithful service of Gaius and how the Lord has blessed and used that. And he wants it to continue. It's a blessing to the church. And so he goes on in verse um, 3, For I rejoice greatly when brethren... Now, some would translate that brothers and sisters. I think it's more specifically used, kind of like the term elder. And I, and I believe in the first application, brethren has to do with ordained ministers, those uh, ministers, evangelists who are preaching and carrying forth the gospel. When they came and testified of the truth that is in you, just as you walk in truth. He had a good report as identified by the truth of the gospel, the faith that is in Jesus Christ. And, and John then says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in faith. So Gaius was a disciple of John. It seems that he was a son in the faith, like Timothy was a son in the faith to Paul, and that he came to faith believing in the Lord Jesus and was called to service. And John is rejoicing. Oh, how my heart just overflows with that phrase. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in the truth. He goes on in verse 5, Beloved, speaking of Gaius, you do faithfully whatever you do for the brethren who are strangers. There's a little bit of uh, grammar here as to whether it could be translated as two groups, brethren and for strangers, or whether it's explaining that these brethren were not personally known, but they had been identified as gospelers, evangelists and ministers preaching the good gospel news of Jesus Christ. And so he says, even though you didn't know them personally, this is not a good old boy network but because they were attested as brethren, fellow ministers and gospelers for the gospel of Jesus Christ, you received them. You did faithfully for them. Verse 6, what you did, those who have borne witness of our love before the church, if you send them forward on their journey, and this is where I'm coming to this thing with deacon, that they were being supported in carrying out the gospel mission. It wasn't a, a, good, old, a good old boy network of, of just, uh, you know, not what you know, but who you know. But it's because of the sake of the gospel and the testimony of their being faithful that Gaius is being commended for supporting them for the sake of the gospel. As the brethren who are bearing for the testimony of Jesus' name many difficulties and hardships, but they would not give in to the peoples of the world. That's what he goes on to say on their journey. Uh, worthy uh, in a manner worthy of God that you do well because they went forth for Jesus' name's sake, 
taking nothing from the Gentiles, from the peoples. Here, this is not Gentiles in contrast to Jews. This is Gentiles as unbelieving peoples. They're not looking to feather their nest. They're not looking even to support their work by having to compromise with the unbelieving people. And that's why there's such hardship. That's why they need the support and help of the church because the world is not a friend of grace to help us unto God. They're serving for the namesake of Jesus. They're encountering difficulties and privations and persecutions and temptations to quit. But Gaius is commended because as a faithful servant in the church, perhaps a deacon, he has supported them apart from his own ego. Maybe he's even suffered sacrifice to support them on in the work of the ministry for the namesake of the blessed Lord Jesus and his gospel. And so he goes on to say in verse 8, we therefore ought to receive such that we may become fellow workers for the truth. It's, it's together. We're workers together. There's a bonding. There's a supergluing. There is a, a knitting of soul. There is a living tapestry of what the body of Christ is in the church. And these offices that serve him are Christ's gifts. And we need to let go ego. We need to let go jealousy. We need to let go uh, greed. And we need, for the namesake, to work together. And so, you can see how I think that comports well with the office of deacon. But now listen to what John says in condemning Diotrephes, who I think also is a, a, a deacon within the local church. I wrote to the church. This is in the context of the body of Christ, the organized, local, visible church. But Diotrephes, who loves to have the preeminence among them, he wants to be seen first. He's an egotist. He does not receive us. Didn't accept our letter. Doesn't accept the council. And refused, as we're going to hear in a moment, others who don't shower him with praise, but talk about how we're to humbly serve Christ. That we're not serving ourselves, we're serving the Lord. It doesn't belong to us. The treasure of the church doesn't belong to us, it belongs to God. How we support the work of the ministry comes first, rather than trying to build ourselves up. And so this is what he says in verse 10, Therefore, if I come, I will call to mind the deeds of Diotrephes, which he does. Uh, being very specific and very personal about this, the word prating, maybe in your translation it says nonsense talk. That's how John identifies what's going on with Diotrephes. He's talking nonsense. People like to hear his inflated ego talk. He's prating and talking nonsense about John and about how he's better. He knows better. He knows more. He's smarter than everybody else. He's better than everybody else. He's a hypocrite. He, he prats and speaks nonsense against the Apostle John with malicious words. You see, it takes a moral component in terms of what he's going to call evil. This is not innocent. This isn't someone who's just a little unsure of himself and needs to be reassured or encouraged. This is something that's evil going on. It's morally evil because it's hypocrisy and lies and truth and greed and self-interest and self-promotion. It has nothing to do with displaying the Lord Jesus. And he says, not being content with that, he himself does not receive the brethren, those who were unknown, but who were gospelers and who were uh, faithful ministers of the brethren, 
that Gaius was supporting because of the gospel ministry, but Diotrephes refuses them because they're not part of his good old boy network. They're not rubbing shoulders with him. They're not inflating his ego. They're not feathering his bank account. And so what does he do? He refuses them, putting them out of the church, claiming an authority he doesn't have. I don't think this is about excommunication. I think this is about refusal to support the bona fide and identified work of the gospel and the peace and purity of the church with known faithful servants and turning against that in egotism, self-serving, self-aggrandizement and building one's own reputation and by that drawing the line as to who will be served and who will not be served. And I think that's the context here and I think that's what uh, Diotrephes was abusing the office of deacon, that he was in hospitality and respect and in support, was to be funding the gospel work. And so John goes on in verse 11, Beloved, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. He who does good is of God, but he who does evil has not seen God. And then he identifies Demetrius. Again, we don't know. Uh, Demetrius, I think, very well could have been one of these uh, gospelers or evangelists like Timothy, Titus, or others, uh, the brethren who are, were strangers personally but who had a good reputation. And now Demetrius is being named as of good testimony from all and from the truth itself because of what he says and what he preaches. And also John says, I bear witness, apostolic approval. And you know that my testimony is true. What, a, what an astounding approval. Man, wouldn't you, wouldn't you want to hear that? As the Apostle John speaking for the Lord Jesus, well done, good and faithful servant. You have a good testimony from all. You're blameless in the sight of men. and You have a witness and testimony from the truth itself because of what you preach is very identifiable. No, this is the truth of Christ. He's saying what the Bible says. He's saying what Jesus says. And then the apostle says, I give my approval to him. And you know, I'm an apostle of Jesus. I'm endued with the power of Jesus and his, his office of apostle. And I tell you, Demetrius is a faithful man of God. So receive him. Don't listen to, to Diotrephes. He's a hypocrite. He wants the, the glory for himself. He's a vainglorious fellow. And I'm going to face him face to face with what he's done when I get there. But in the meantime, you don't listen to him, Gaius. You receive Demetrius on my recommendation of the Holy Spirit. And then verse 13, I had many things to write, but I do not wish to write to you with pen and ink. But I hope to see you shortly, and we shall speak face to face, people to people. Mano y mano. Peace to you. Gaius is upset. Gaius is distressed. The church is upset and, and, and being wrung out. And John speaks peace in the name of Jesus and with the power of the Spirit. The things that I've written to you, let the Holy Spirit sanctify in your heart and be at peace. Our friends greet you, those who are here in the body of Christ, some you know by name, others by reputation, as faithful servants. They, they greet you, and they greet our friends by name. 
Isn't it wonderful to know one another's names? It's something. I, I go to the airport, I go to the mall, I go to the grocery store. I, you know, here's, here's a kind of a weird thing. I, I go to the local grocery store, I never see you. We all live right here. But our paths, how often do they cross at the grocery store? I can't remember when I've seen one of you at the grocery store or at the gas station. We all live right here. But life's busy and there's bunches of people. So we rarely see one another. But, oh, beloved, isn't it wonderful in the body of Christ to know each other's name and to be face-to-face? That's one of the aspects of public worship. I'm just, there's a bee in my bonnet about the neglect of public worship. And it has to do with people to people in the body of Christ. I I know Jesus comes first. But Jesus comes first in a way that we're brought together. Jesus brings us together. How would I ever have known you face to face and name to name? How would I have loved you if it hadn't been for Jesus? And so... I'm not going to go on. If, you, if you've got the study notes this morning, you can make the comparison to the qualifications and how they comport with either the commendation of Gaius or the condemnation of Diotrephes. You can make that connection. It's pretty rich, and I wish I had more time to do this morning, but I don't. But you've got the notes. You can take them with you. And, and, and I would challenge you. Can you follow through with what Paul writes about deacons and their qualifications in reference to the object lessons or the case study of Gaius and Diotrephes, it would be a good thing to do. But this morning we have the the privilege of a special service. It's acknowledged in our uh, order of of church government and uh, our, our constitutional documents that there is a time for special services. And we have one of those this morning in terms of deacon ordination and installation. Because we believe that um, deacon is an ordained office in the New Covenant Church. Our denomination, the PCA, has affirmed and reaffirmed that the office of deacon is necessary for the organizing and uh, for the establishing of a local church. And we recognize the office of deacon, again, in the qualifications that are set out in Scripture, not excluding the value of others who serve in terms of other men and women and children in our midst, uh, the blessing that that brings to us, but holding to the scriptural teaching in contrast to the world of gender confusion and of gender war, we submit to the authority of God in creation ordinance and in Christ order over His church. Without question. And so we come this morning to follow our denomination, following Scripture, into this blessing to have one of our own uh, who has been recognized, nominated, received the nomination, accepted the call, gone through the training, confirmed the desire, and now to be presented to the congregation this morning for the office of deacon to serve the great name, the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. And so I'm going to ask that Scott Scott Smith come forward. Scott, as I just mentioned, is being presented this morning. You know, he's already been elected. He's been nominated, called, trained, accepted the call, presented to the congregation, elected, and now to be ordained this morning following uh, the scriptural order that's set out for us and, and the, the vows.
the, the vows and promises that are set before us and used uh, by our book of church order. Uh, I like the fact that we have these set out, that we don't have to ad lib or we don't make up our own, that, that what we do is we follow a good order that is based on Scripture, reflecting uh, scriptural teaching and truth, and so we use those uniformly within our denomination. Uh, now, Scott is only called to this congregation. He can't go to another congregation and, and be a, a deacon without being recognized and uh, being received there. He wouldn't be re- reordained, but he would have to be called by that congregation. So we have other elders and deacons. And I'm going to ask our elders and deacons to come forward this morning as we uh, administer these uh, vows and then as we also administer the congregational vow that you will accept and acknowledge and um, receive Scott as a deacon serving here, and then we'll have a prayer uh, and the laying on of hands. So I turn now to these um, vows and promises. We've reviewed them. Oh, oh yeah, the elders and deacons can sit while we go through the uh, uh, vows, and then we'll come back up to the laying on of hands. Oh, well, thank you. Uh, Charles, you're welcome to join us if you'd like. Just a reminder. So, yes, visiting elders and deacons. So Scott, do you believe the scriptures of the Old and New Testament as originally given to be in the inerrant word of God, the only infallible rule of faith and practice? If so, say I do. Do you sincerely receive and adopt the confession of faith, the Westminster Confession of Faith and Catechisms of this church, as containing the system of doctrine taught in the Holy Scriptures? And do you further promise if at any time you find yourself out of accord with any of the fundamentals of the system? You will, on your own initiative, make it known to your session of elders uh, the change which has taken place in your views since the assumption of this ordination vow. You, you approve of the form of government and discipline of the Presbyterian Church in America in conformity with the general principles of biblical, of biblical polity or church government. You, you accept the office of deacon in this church, Brookwood Presbyterian Church. And promise faithfully to perform all the duties thereof, and to endeavor by the grace of God to adorn the profession of the gospel in your life, and to set a worthy example before the church of which the Lord has made you an officer. You do say, You promise subjection to your brethren in the Lord. You do say, And you promise to strive for purity, peace, unity, and edification. Now, to you as a congregation, do you, the members of Brookwood Presbyterian Church, acknowledge and receive this, our brother Scott Smith, as a deacon? And do you promise to yield him all the honor, encouragement, and obedience in the Lord to which his office of deacon, according to the word of God as the constitution of this church, entitles him? If you do, say amen. 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 I'm going to ask the elders to come forward. Scott, I ask that you bow and kneel here. Our laying of hands is symbolic. The laying on of hands not only is symbolic of the work of the Holy Spirit uniting and connecting us, but you need to also understand the somber nature of this laying on of hands. We are handing Scott over to Christ, the Lord of the church. He serves him and he answers to him. This is a somber consideration, even though it's joy. Elder Ronnie Price, going to lead us in the ordination prayer. Our Father and our God, 
2,000 years ago when your church needed someone to take care of, of your flock, you instructed them to appoint seven men, men that were filled with the Holy Spirit and had the gift of wisdom. You think of men such as Philip and Nicholas and Stephen. Stephen, the first martyr of your church, and in that vein, you have given us our brother Scott to serve us. And we pray that you would give him the same gifts, that you would fill him with your Holy Spirit and you would give him wisdom. Father, we pray that he would serve us in humility, that he would not indulge in much wine. Father, that he would take hold to the deep mysteries of the faith. Father, we pray for his wife and his son, Selby. We pray that they would support Scott in his new role as deacon. And yet, they would not disregard supporting him as a husband and father. Likewise, we pray Scott, pray for Scott, as he served as deacon, that he would not perform his role to them as a faithful husband and loving father. We pray for this church that we would give Scott the honor and respect deserved. We pray that we would trust in his wisdom and his discernment that you have granted him as he serves us. We pray that we would all work together, loving each other as brothers and sisters, honoring each other in our offices, and doing all these things for the glory of Christ's name. We ask this in all things, in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Now we have another gesture that is all borne out by Scripture. That's extending the right hand of fellowship to receive Scott. I'm going to ask the elders and deacons to first extend the right hand of fellowship as I read the charge from the Book of Church Order. Then I'm going to ask Scott to join me uh, this morning that you as a congregation might also uh, receive him with the right hand of Christian fellowship as you leave the service this morning. So elders and deacons, as I read... We give you, Scott, the right hand of fellowship to partake in this office of deacon in serving this church. I now pronounce that Scott Smith has been regularly elected, ordained, and installed as a deacon in Brookwood Presbyterian Church of the Presbyterian Church of America, agreeable to the Word of God, and according to the Constitution of this Presbyterian Church in America, and that as such he is entitled to all encouragement, honor, obedience in the Lord, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us stand together as we turn to our concluding and parting hymn this morning. Hymn number 363, We Gather Together to Ask the Lord's Blessing. 363.